Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the time that we have to spend with you. We thank you for the assurance that you are here in our presence. And that because of your omnipresence, you can be at all of our sister churches rejoicing and casting your blessing through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken this morning and the words that are heard would simply focus on the greatness of your love and who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew 26, 32 through 35. And it says, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all have been made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not die. I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. You know, these Jesus had arranged to meet with the disciples right after the Passover week was complete. And for them to have left earlier would have raised suspicion and concern and even heresy among the Jewish leaders. These seven disciples were dressed in their usual fishermen outfits and had very little in worldly possessions, but were rich in the knowledge and the truth of Jesus, of the gospel. Their three years of education didn't come from the traditional school of the prophets, but came from one who was the greatest teacher and mentor the world has ever known. And because of their limited financial resources, they resorted to doing what they knew best, And as Peter suggested, let's go fishing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going fishing. And it was shortly thereafter that the disciples agreed to his decision to go, and they quickly entered into the boat. While in the boat through the night, they patiently persevered, waiting and washing for a catch, but nothing happened. The tranquil lake water water beyond the shores of Capernaum have provided the perfect backdrop for them to reminisce about the activities that they had had with Jesus. They remembered how their hearts were filled with terror when a fierce storm tried to destroy them and was hushed by the powerful words of Jesus. They remembered how where he had fed 10,000, 10,000 plus people from some loaves of bread and fish. And not far from there, they could see the dim um, oil lamps burning from the city of Capernaum. You see, Jesus, while he had been raised during his childhood in Nazareth, uh, the community of Nazareth had rejected him. And so he spent a large time of his ministry there in Capernaum, right around the shores of the Lake Galilee. But things seemed different now. The disciples questioned their future. They were uncertainty about the prospects of what was going to happen now that all that had happened to Jesus. And meanwhile, on the shore, there was an observant, or there was a person that was 
intently observing these men on the boat. He was about 300, the, the men were about 300 feet beyond the shore. And from this pew, that's about 19 feet beyond the uh, schoolyard fence. So you can imagine the distance. And while it was still dark, they didn't see this observer. But then he calls out to them, children, you haven't caught anything, have you? The disciples disappointedly answer, no, we haven't. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. You see, earlier the moonlight to their backs had created the shadow from the boat onto the water. And they cast their nets there. Every experienced fisherman knows that you avoid the suspicion of the fish by casting your net in the shadow so the net isn't seen. Years ago, one of my patients had invited myself and my son Ryan to go fishing. He was an avid fisherman. Whenever he came in for an appointment, that's what he loved to talk about. And so he said, yeah, we'd love to. We made arrangements to camp uh, by him. And so Doug told me, uh, you know, I'll meet you at 3 o'clock. And I said, great, we'll be ready. He said, Dr. Bina, that's 3 in the morning. And so I said, okay. A little reluctantly, I said, okay. But after an hour driving this rough back, road up this mountain, we finally came up to this precipice where there was this beautiful lake. You could see the mirrored reflection on the water. It was like glass. You could see these fish literally jumping out of the water as they were chasing after insects feeding. It was beautiful. It was tranquil. It was serene. And in short time, we met our quota. We caught our fish. We were so proud of what we accomplished. But yet, it was the experience of the fishermen that made that possible. And during this early morning sunrise, Jesus is instructed to cast their nets to the right side of the boat, facing him where the sun is now shining. A suggestion that is counterintuitive to these experienced fishermen. Yet they did as they were told, and immediately their net was overwhelmed with 153 fish. So much so that they couldn't pull the fish or the net out of the water. And it may have been the foot-long tilapia that are there or, and or possibly the gray mullet that's two feet long. These are fish that are common variety in the habitat of the Galilean waters. And so they continue... And suddenly John recognizes this figure. The light is beginning to raise with the sunrise. And you recognize that this is Jesus. And he tells Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter is so excited and elated that he grabs his outer garment, puts it around his waist and jumps into the water and swims to the shore. 300 feet. Peter must have been a good swimmer as well. And so... Therein lies a lesson for us. Because while the fishermen didn't recognize the the power of God at that moment, they had tried all night trying to fish using their skills. And Jesus told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. That was just not the practical way that fishermen do it. And how often do we struggle trying to do things our own way? 
you know, things that we think are the right way. And yet when we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to follow the, the wisdom of God, often that is counterintuitive to human reasoning, we see powerful results. It's when we combine human effort with divine power that we always see success. And so, why following Jesus and casting their net towards him, they were in effect turning their backs to their own way. And they saw some powerful results from that. And we can experience that, that as well. And so, Peter swims out to the shore. And naturally, the rest of the disciples were left with having to haul the, the net full of fish with them to the shore as well. And as soon as they arrive to the shore, they see this fire of coals with a fish and a loaf laid before them. And yet they're too amazed to question, how did the bread or the food and the fire get there in the first place? Here again, Jesus affirms their obedience to his instructions by asking them to bring some of their own fish. And then Jesus breaks the bread in the usual manner divides it among the seven, and their minds are immediately drawn to the feeding of the 5,000. Here in front, in front of them, in silent awe, they're seeing the Savior, the Master of the universe. It was in a similar setting before that Jesus had made his call to these disciples to leave their boats and to become fishers of men. Here again, Jesus calls these seven disciples to leave their boat and come to him again as an act of recommission. It showed that his death had not dismissed their obligation to their ministry. And again, it's the same for us. It has not dismissed our obligation to ministry. We see that when Jesus, after his baptism, had one preoccupation that was twofold. One, it was to seek and save the lost. Two, it was to teach others to seek and save the lost. We see this clearly in Matthew. Matthew 4 talks about calling the disciples to make them fishers of men. We see it in Matthew 28 when he says, Go therefore and make disciples. And so while the disciples' call to ministry wouldn't, wouldn't have the personal companionship of Jesus, nor the reliance on their fishing trade, the Holy Spirit would continue to care for them and provide for them. Amid this morning breakfast, there's a lesson Jesus desired to give them, particularly for Peter. Peter's denial of the Lord had been shamefully contrasted to his previous claims of loyalty. This act dishonored Christ and created distrust in his fellow disciples. They already presumed that Peter was not, would not be allowed to resume his position as a disciple. And Peter himself felt that he had forfeited their trust. Before Peter could take up his work as an apostle, apostle it was necessary for him to demonstrate his repentance before his fellow disciples. Without the repentance of his sin, his influence and credibility as a representative of Jesus would be severely minimized. But now Jesus had mercifully gives Peter the opportunity to regain confidence of his fellow disciples and as much as possible remove the disappointment he had brought upon the gospel. Herein lies another lesson. The gospel of Jesus makes no compromise with evil. It cannot tolerate sin. And sins committed in private 
are to be confessed in secrecy to God. But open sin, in other words, sin committed in open require public confession. All sin causes Satan to triumph and those weak in faith to stumble while misrepresenting the character of God. By giving evidence of repentance, Peter, as far as lies in his power, was to remove this reproach. And now the setting is perfect because Jesus does nothing by coincidence. After they're completing their breakfast, Peter's still drenched in his clothes from swimming, and the other six disciples huddled around the fire there, sitting and wondering what's going to happen next. It was by the lakeside and after casting his net where Peter had first been called to be a fisher of men. The lake, that spot on the shore, the net, the boat, these all brought back to Peter's mind in its fullness the tangible thoughts of that day when he was called and had been a turning point in his life. And now all these thoughts and emotions are swirling in his mind as he stands before this fire of coals. You see, it was in front of the fire of coals that Peter had denied his master. And now it's in front of the fire of coals that Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We might imagine his eyes and we might imagine the silence, the dead silence that was there because the other disciples already had this perception of this betraying disciple. Peter there can't bear to look up in their eyes. He can't bear to look at the face of Jesus. And we can imagine that he's resting his eyes before this fire of coals, conscious of the presence of the Lord who knows all things. These burning thoughts of sorrow and regret and shame might have come to his mind. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? referring to his fellow disciples. And some biblical scholars have interpreted the word these as, you know, referring to the fish and the boats. In other words, Simon, do you love me more than your occupation, your worldly calling? Are you willing to give up all for me? Peter had once confidently, confidently stated, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never stumble. But now he sees the true character, his true character being revealed. He's left to respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This time there's no boastful assurance that his love is greater than that of his fellow disciples. He does not express his own opinion of his devotion, but recognizing before him Jesus, who can read all the motives and the intent of the heart, lays his heart responding. You know that I love you. But Peter's use of the word is much weaker than the love that Jesus was referring to. Jesus' question seems to ask, do you in your full consciousness of your will, in your profound devotion to me, in this context, Peter, do you love me? Peter seems to answer, you know, Lord, you know that I love you. I don't know if I can even fully answer that question, but you know in the heart of my heart that I love you. I'm counting on the fact that you can see inside of me and despite of all that I've done, that you know that I love you. 
Feed my little lambs, Peter. Again, Jesus challenges Peter to the test, repeating his previous question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time he did not ask whether Peter loved him better than his brethren. Peter's response was like the first, free from confident assurance. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Take care of my sheep, Peter. A third time, Jesus states the undeviating question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? The third time, the undeviating question is presented to Peter. It pierces his heart. Peter's grieved. And now Peter thought that even Jesus doubted his love. He knew that Jesus was qualified in questioning his trust. And with an aching heart, he responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. Each response of Peter was short of the love that Jesus desired. And yet, Jesus was willing to accept the love that Peter offered. Three times Peter had denied Jesus. Three times Jesus drew out from Peter assurance of his love and his loyalty. Pressing the undeviating question like a barbed arrow to his wounded heart. And open before his six co-labors, Jesus revealed the depth of Peter's repentance and showed how completely humbled was this once overly confident disciple. It was Peter's natural inclination to be boastful and impulsive and gregarious. And Satan had taken full advantage of these characteristics to set him up for failure, to destroy him, and to injure the heart of Jesus. Just before Peter's fall, Jesus had revealed to him, Satan has demanded to have you all and to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fall. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus had foretold how Peter would respond, and now that time had come. By the grace of God, Peter did come back, and the transformation in Peter was evident. The undeviating questions of the Lord did not bring out one single self-sufficient reply. And because of Peter's humiliation and repentance, he was now better equipped than ever before to shepherd the flock. And although Peter had denied his Lord, Jesus' love for him had never faltered. The undeviating question Christ presented to Peter is significant. The undeviating question Jesus presents to us is also significant. Do you love me? This is the essential qualification. And what's significant and beautiful about Jesus is that the only thing he cares about is our love, not our performance. He asked, do you love me? Well, we might have expected him to say, Son of John, are you sorry how you abandoned me, how you embarrassed me before everyone? Do you promise never to do that again? But no, he doesn't ask those condemning questions. Jesus seeks first for the surrender of the heart and believes and is warranted in that belief that when the heart is surrendered, all else will follow. When love, the love of Christ is being given, when the heart is being lived through, with the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
than loyalty, service, repentance, hatred of self-will, hatred of self-seeking will follow. Christ asked for love. In the first two questions, the word which our Lord uses for love is not the same that appears in Peter's first two answers. Christ asked for the one kind of love, the Greek word agape, and Peter offers another, phileo. The kind of love that Christ asks for is a higher, nobler, less emotional, more associated with the whole mind and the will. It is the less or the inferior kind of love, the more warm, the more sensual, the more emotional which Peter brings. And then in the third question, our Lord, as it were, surrenders and uses Peter's own word for love, as if to say, very well, Peter, you shrink from the professing the higher kind of love that I desire. I will take the love that you have to offer. I love you, Peter, and I will educate you and bring you up to the height of love that you can appreciate and experience. My brothers and sisters, however stained and imperfect we may be, However scarred we may be from sin, Jesus Christ will accept the poor stream of love that we have to offer. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will develop in us the love that he desires to receive. And he receives that love when we demonstrate his love towards others. Because if you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep is his appeal. Not only to those who are of the fold, but also for those who are outside the fold. You see here, Jesus is clearly stating here that the ultimate mark of an authentic Christian is not his creed, is not his Bible knowledge, it's not his faith. While we may possess knowledge, willingness to do good, eloquence, gratitude, and zeal, all these qualities are beneficial to doing a good work. But without the love of Jesus in the heart, the work of a Christian is ineffective. It is Jesus' love that makes the difference. A physician had accepted a call to serve as a missionary to the west coast of Africa, which is now called Liberia. One day he was out there, and as he was serving the community, the services from the villagers was very much appreciated and well accepted. And while he extended an invitation to the mission chapel, um, the response was not the same. Much to his disappointment, he pressed on serving the villagers. One day he was observing his five-year-old son romping through the tall grass when he fell down, as often little children do. He got up and continued to run again, but fell again. And this time... The little five-year-old didn't get up. Running to his son, the father knew what happened. His son had contracted jungle fever, a severe form of malaria. Lifting him up to his arms, he told his son, we'll fix this. But in spite of his medical skill and his experience, in spite of the medications that he administered, his son died. He goes to the shop to craft a wooden box. He carefully and lovingly places the lifeless body of this five-year-old into the wooden casket. Places it on his shoulder and heads beyond the field of where, in the grass of where he was playing. 
And as he was making his way through the grass and out to a clearing, the village chief saw him and was wondering what he was doing, and he asked them. Soon after he found out, he offered to help the doctor carry the little casket. And after the final shovel of dirt was placed, the father dropped to his knees in uncontrollable crying. The village chief bends down in wonderment, looking at the face of the doctor, and then jumps up and runs back to the village, saying, The white man, he cries like us. He cries like us. That evening, the mission chapel was full of the village people, wanting to know about the God that he serves. Tomorrow we have the opportunity to serve the community again. And while we may have the talents, the skills, and the experience, without the heart of Jesus, we're simply doing good deeds. Many people don't realize that what is hurting them the most is the lack of Jesus. And yet the other hurts serve as a distraction only for them to realize that. Do you love me? That is the undeviating question Jesus asks of each one of us. Yes, we do love Jesus. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we will demonstrate that love that our Lord and Savior so much desires. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Spirit of God that manifests itself and makes impossible things possible makes hearts of stone into flesh, brings healing to hurts that have no other remedy. Lord, we pray that we would continue to be as Peter saying, Lord, you know that we love you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue the good work that you've started in us, create in us that desire to, to serve, to see through your eyes, and to have passion and compassion for those that don't know you, to have passion and compassion for one another. So, Lord, that you would be lifted up and that you would come soon. These things we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.